we have some special guests with us. Uh, we have Kelly Crandall uh, uh, from Daytona right now live, and then the great Jeff Hammond. So uh, we are going to let you uh, take over, Kelly. So good afternoon to you. And, uh, and so we are on for a special uh, Daytona 500. Well, it's good to be here. Can everybody hear me okay? I'm yes. Not too Hello. Hello. Yeah, you're fine. Perfect. So we're going to talk about Daytona today, I believe, which is fantastic because I absolutely love Daytona. Brad, I don't know if you want to kind of lead the way since you're comfortable doing that. I think that's probably better for you than me, but uh, I can do it if you want. <laughs> uh, that, it, it, look, I, I think we'll have a great discussion here as uh, the NASCAR season kicks off as well. I mean, I might take a little exception to Francis calling him the great Jeff Hammond. I mean, I know the man's accomplished a lot with 43 wins as a crew chief and two championships. And really you can almost double those numbers, if not more, when you consider the fact of everything that Jeff Hammond did when he was a crew member and most definitely should be a NASCAR hall of famer, but that's a, a different story as well. But, you know, Francis, as he said, Kelly, you're here down in Daytona last night. We finally saw cars on the racetrack for the first time since Phoenix raceway back in early November. And it was certainly a pretty thrilling finish as well. It was. It was a thrilling finish. And I have to say, I think the overall race was much better than maybe a lot of people anticipated. And I think a lot of that had to do with the change in the aero package, because not saying the August event was a disappointment or a bummer, but I think the, the change in the aero package let them race a little bit more, kept everybody closer together. And we actually saw some great road course racing and the there was some variables and elements like the track being dirty. So that was fun. And another exciting road course finish in the front chicane, like we've seen at Charlotte at the Roval before. So I was really excited. I think Daytona and NASCAR came out of the box the best they could. And I think, again, that was made possible by the decision to go with the high horsepower, low downforce aero package. What do you think, uh, Mr. Hammond? Last night's race was uh, exceptional to a lot of people's standards and a lot of twists and turns along the way, especially when you consider it was a 35-lap race and we had four cautions. We had 12 lead changes among eight different drivers. You don't have to have watched the race. If you just look at the, the sheet at the end, uh, the box score, to look at that and realize that, wow, something incredible happened. No, you're exactly right. And I think the thing that really amazed me more than anything else, I was lucky enough that we took a break from getting ready to come to Daytona with our, you know, number 68 uh, truck. And so we stopped by Hooters and thought we'd support, you know, our champion, current champion, Chase Elliott, one of his sponsors, and have us something to eat. So we got a chance to watch just about the entire race. So what I took away is a lot with you and Kelly both. And by the way, hey, Kelly, great to be on with you. Uh, not so much you, Mr. Brad Gilly. I see too much of you here lately. But uh, no, getting back to what we about what's happened at the very get-go, and Brad, we both have talked about it. We just want to see good, solid racing. And last night, we saw everything you could ask for when it comes to a good race. We saw guys beating and banging on each other, aggressiveness. Uh, we thought we saw Chase Elliott Re, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat one more time and wind up at the front with just a very few laps to go. But now you got to sit here and kind of scratch your head. Are we looking at what the future could hold in store for us when we go to these road courses? 
have we got a rivalry between Ryan Blaney and and Chase Elliott because them two kids, I mean, they looked awesome last night. And Ryan just, I mean, he went up there when he wanted to take that lead. He took the lead away from Chase, and it, you know, it was game on. It like you know, you can't do that to me. You're making me look bad. And he come charging back, and it was just back and forth, back and forth. And then right there at the end, um, just how bad do you want it? Both of them were going at it pretty hard. And oh, by the way. The candy man stole the show right there at the end, or at least the trophy. <laughs> yeah, the the seas parted and opportunity presented itself. You know, Kelly being being there covering the event, uh, of course, everyone wanted to know. Chase Elliott, what were you thinking? Uh, and Ryan Blaney, what did you think about all of that? So, what did the drivers say after the race? Well, before I get into that, I wanted to touch on one more thing. As I was listening to Jeff talk, just about good racing. One of the biggest variables, and it is what helped Ryan Blaney take the lead, track down and take that lead from Chase Elliott, was tires mattered last night. The tire fall off was incredible. And someone like myself, I love races where tires matter and you have to conserve your tires. And we saw a lot of pit stops last night because tires made the difference. And that's, you know, Ryan Blaney came from about 10th to chasing Chase Elliott down for the lead. After the race, I mean, look, they're good friends. And I think that's why everybody was curious of how they were going to react. But Ryan Blaney said it perfectly. You can be good friends, but that doesn't mean we're going to be happy about it if one of us takes the other one out. So definitely upset about it. I think he was more upset of, listen, if you're going to make that move, that's fine. But don't let the third place guy win, you know, uh, if you're going to make that move, make it matter so that one of the two of us still wins the race. And instead they gift wrapped it for Kyle Busch. So Chase Elliott was naturally apologetic and also had one of the funniest lines of the night by saying, you know, Ryan's not somebody he'd want to wreck. There's other guys he wouldn't mind wrecking, but he's not going to want to wreck Ryan Blaney. So you know, he offered an apology, but he said, there's nothing I can do about it now. Whereas Ryan said, I appreciate the apology. We're going to talk about it as friends and, and they'll be able to calmly talk about it and not have a huge blow up argument over it. But he was understandably not happy about it. And, and we'll see what happens. I want to say too, Jeff was talking about, are we going to see rivalries between these two on road courses? I think last night showed that Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Denny Hamlin are probably the three best road course racers right now in the circuit. Because if you go back to the August race, Ryan Blaney ran decent in that race. He runs very well at the Charlotte Roval. Chase Elliott won at da the Daytona road course race in August. And who was the guy chasing him in August? Denny Hamlin. So I, th I thought those three last night were probably the, the best three drivers in the field. That's a great point. Yeah, I agree with you, but you know, I don't want I don't want to leave somebody out here to think we do not need to overlook, and that's Mark Truex Jr. He was equally as impressive uh, at, at different points. So I like I like bringing it in, into fours. You know, what I'm saying if we have an opportunity, we can get four drivers involved in this rather than three. I think more for the party uh, is even better for the fans. Jeff, have you ever had any experience in a specialty event in NASCAR where maybe you were racing for the lead with your driver and someone took you out at the end? Was there any any sort of famous situation where that might have happened and how did it feel that day? Uh, kind of hard to remember yeah, that 200 yeah, grand. Yeah, I, I, I kind of remember something like that. Uh, uh, 
I try real hard to push it to the back of my memory bank because it can be very frustrating when you know that you you're going to you're on the verge of winning, and all of a sudden you you get helped to not win. What, what was the year of the Tide Slide? Is what we're referring to in the NASCAR All Star Race. Rusty took out DW, and and there had to be a whole lot of people holding a whole lot of crew members back from each other after that one. Yeah, it, it got out of control. It really did. But you know, we we took exception to it. You know, Rusty got into our left rear quarter panel with just a, you know lap or two to go, and definitely sent us uh, spinning around. And uh, it's just like Daryl said. You know, if I could have just got off that fourth turn a little bit better on that lap, he said it would have been game over because Rusty stuff was starting to give up and he was starting to run up the racetrack and it was just a matter of time. You know, we were going to get away and pull it off. But the emotion that goes into a specialty race is no different than just the 600 or the 500 or, or running at Martinsville. You get beat on, you get done wrong, and the emotions are going to boil over. I mean, it's it's not about the money; it's about the trophy, it's about the pride, it's about the fact that you know you work just as hard for a race like that as you do for a regular race. Just because you call it a specialty race, you don't pay any points, but that's the only thing that's different. Everything matters. Pit stops matter. Race strategy matters, and the fact that you know what you've done during the off season a lot of times has been Think about it like this. These cars were not supposed to run until later on in the season. So whenever we lost California, what happened? They stuck Daytona the second race of the year. All these crew chiefs had their stuff already planned out. Now they got to undo and change. And here, oh, by the way, and the reason why I bring this up, even though we knew we were going to run on the road course for the clash, now you got a road course right after this. So what car do you run? Because you got to have a backup car to come back down here with you. You're going to have a primary car. So they got to scramble around and get a third one ready to go just to come down for the, for the clash. So it's, it was a lot of work uh, when you're facing the Daytona 500 on top of that. So you, you're, you're going to find out when you start talking to, to uh, crew chiefs, leave the drivers out of it, but talk to the crew chiefs and, and, the, and the car chiefs, you'll find out they had to burn a little extra midnight oil to get things ready like they, like they needed to. And so it's, it's gonna, it makes things even more emotional because you work so hard at it and you see something like we saw last night. And that wasn't the only thing. It was just the biggest thing of the night whenever the two knocked each other out and gave Kyle Busch to win. But there was a lot of that going on. I mean, there was a lot of beating and banging and a lot of people right now are probably thinking, I can't wait till I see him in the garage tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to say if you uh, if you have a question for Jeff Hammond, for Kelly Crandall, for myself about the NASCAR season, about something technical, maybe it's an article that Kelly has written for Racer.com. You are certainly more than welcome to do so in the chat, and we'd love to hear from you and answer any of those. And and Kelly, I do want to ask you before we started our previous session with the folks from Race Gas, Paul Fanner from Racer.com was on here and basically said that that your article about Kyle Busch. And his, his new situation in the car that we all see that looks the same, but the way things have happened behind the scenes at Joe Gibbs Racing is pretty much one of the hottest articles that Racer.com has seen. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they have told me. I think a little bit of that has to do with Kyle always being one for a great quote, which we turned into the headline, which was 
feeling like he got fired from the 18 team move and then rehired for the 20 team, but it's still the 18 number, if that makes sense. One of the biggest stories in the offseason was Joe Gibbs Racing shuffling their team personnel. And a lot of attention goes to Kyle Busch working with the new crew chief and Ben Bishore. But Christopher Bell, who is now working with Adam Stevens, who did work with Kyle, Christopher had done a media availability during the offseason, I think back in December, maybe early January, and talked about how Adam had actually brought over some of the engineers that were on the 18 team. So that got my mind thinking that maybe there's more to this than just a crew chief swap. So when it was finally time for Kyle to do his Daytona 500 media availability late last week, it was just a simple question of, hey, Kyle, can you explain what's different on your team this year? And again, he provided a great quote of there's so much change that he felt like he got fired. So it's basically an entirely new team. He does have his same car chief, but he's got a different hauler. He's got a different surface plate in the race shop. Uh, like I said, new, new guys, new crew chief. Now, granted, he's worked with Ben Bishore before, so they're not exactly new together, but it's a new environment being in the cup series. So um, again, I think, you know, Kyle's good for a quote and that, that always plays well when delivering to the audience. So I think everybody enjoyed that. What do you think, Jeff? I mean, you know, Anytime you get into an offseason, look, if you're going to get better, you're probably going to be making some type of adjustments along the way. And we have seen some situations where Team Penske last year, they, they literally took the driver, the spotter, and the car number and moved it to a new crew chief's team. It's not like Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney and Brad Keselowski got a new crew chief. They actually went over to that crew chief's team. The situation that Kelly just described in the way things changed over at Joe Gibbs Racing, or we have literally seen uh, just simply crew chief swaps where the crew chief goes to a new team. All of those different situations certainly create different results. But in some of your experience, what are some of the things that, that need to start working early? Some of the things that need to happen in those situations to hit the ground running in the way that you have to in this sport? Well, you you got to put yourself in a position early on to see whether or not you can get back to victory lane because that's the reason why you made the changes. And Kyle's, you know, situation, you almost got to say, well, he struck first because now he's got a window under his belt. And, you know, they were in contention. So I think that's – it shows that, well, maybe their communication is, is pretty good right on the get -go. The idea – I love what Kelly brought up, the engineer part of it. Uh, having worked with uh, – an engineer currently, I understand the relevance of communication and comfort. And some drivers and crew chiefs are, they need that because there are people that you depend a lot on when you're in your mind, when you're going through what changes do I want? Uh, and I'm talking about set up of cars or how you're going to build a car. When you're going through all this stuff, you lean a lot on your engineer and you also lean on him as far as developmental work, running sim uh, where the driver's not involved, but you go through chassis programs. Having somebody that understands you and that you understand, I mean, it's it's a comfort level. And when you hear all this going on, that's what these, these uh, crew chiefs are doing. You know, if you want to go back and, and kind of look at the, the, the penis deal, he, he's kind of like the kid with the blanket. You know, I got to have my blanket. And that's what your engineer is. I mean, he's that comfort zone, man. Hey, come here. I mean, let me hug you a little closer here. Come on, let's talk about what we're going to do this weekend, how we're going to do it. I love it when I see these guys 
pair up like they do because it really tells me that they have got a good unit. If you are not getting results, it's a great opportunity to move on and get me somebody new, get fresh faces and fresh ideas. And we've seen some of that this year, uh, not just with uh, what's going on over Joe Gibbs racing, but it, a little bit at Hendrick. Not, not a lot of wholesale change, but just think about Chad Knauss is in a totally different role this year. And uh, we're going to see how they benefit, whether he's able to do more for other four teams than rather just being focused for, you know, on the, his car in particular. So comfort level and communication, uh, they go hand in hand. Jeff, I wanted to ask you something particular when it comes to this topic, because another thing Kyle mentioned was making a change like this, especially when it's more than just one person. It's all about that mindset and that culture, that team culture, where when you make a change like this, it changes the way of thinking. And for instance, he pointed out that leading into Texas last year, which he eventually won, that was his only win of the season, that Adam Stevens came to him and said, look, we can continue going down the path that we've always gone down, or since we have nothing to lose, we can try something new and go down an entirely new path. And they did, and that's what won them the race. And Kyle said that he thinks that's when the gears started turning at Joe Gibbs Racing, that maybe if they change some things with the teams, it will lead to more of that. You just shake up that mindset. You've been a crew chief, very successful crew chief, have you experienced that as well with any of your teams that once you start making personnel changes that it kind of changes the culture a little bit? Well, if you would uh, mind me not, not mind me saying what I'm going to say, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm experiencing that somewhat, you know, with the Clay Greenfield organization. We've got uh, one guy that was in the shop at the end of last year that came back. A lot of the other teams that were running fewer races, uh, other guys that were part of our organization, they went to teams that were going to race more. You know, they wanted to continue to run more. So they had an opportunity to move. And that has, you know, brought us to the point where, you know, we had to replace them. And we've got a lot of young guys that got a lot of heart, but the experience level is not as strong as it was last year. The, the ability to give it up there all, has already been shown. These, these kids will work. They work their tails off. But there's just a lot of, of unknowns and a lot of stuff they don't know. And it's it's been you know, a big challenge for all of us. Challenge for me trying to keep an eye on them and at the same time them you know trying to get caught up in what they're being asked to do. So yes, this is across the board. If you move one guy, if you move five guys, if you move the whole team, any adjustment is an adjustment that in, within the organization and how you absorb that individual sometimes has a big, big benefit or a big, big minus. And you got to hope that you get the big benefit and it doesn't come up with all of a sudden now I've got a cancer in my team. And I don't mean that sarcastically or you know, any, any team out there specifically. I'm talking about in a generality, you, you call a team a team for one reason. It's when the individuals with great talent put their egos in their back pockets and agree to work together for the betterment of the, of the whole whole team, the whole group. Because every one of these guys has got to have that big ego to a certain degree to be good at what they do. You got to believe you're the best and you got to believe your, your driver's the best. So having that is not a negative, but how you manage it is, is so key. 
Yeah, by the way, Jeff has been literally working his tail off on the Clay Greenfield truck. So Monday, we come in early because he and I uh, were going to talk to Rick Hendrick for uh, our Monday night show on Sirius XM. So Jeff shows up at the PRN studios. I don't even know what time you got here because you hopped on an airplane at 4.30 a.m. Central Time. Five thirty. I'm sorry. By Monday night, before our show uh, on Sirius XM, I walk back into the PRN studios and Jeff is literally horizontal, laying down, sleeping. I almost had to go shake him just to wake up for our show because he has literally been murdering the midnight oil, getting ready to go race. Well, you just saw one of the crews. I guess he had a uh, guys got a question right now because literally the shop out there, you probably can hear the noise. We're still finishing up and working on trying to get some, uh, some of the final preparations. Uh, on the Rackley roofing uh, Toyota, and you know it's come along. It's been some hard work, but that's what it's all about. You know, it, that's why we do what we do. It's the satisfaction of we like we work very. Uh, we work through Kyle Busch Motorsports, so we were over there at Pull Down Red yesterday, and we worked 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 and we kept getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. It wasn't perfect when we come in. Then we had an, oh, by the way, had a left front uh, jack bolt nut galled in the, in the frame rail. So we had to take it all that out and we had to basically start over and it put us a little behind. But at the end of the day, we all went away feeling like, yeah, we, we had, we're good, we're good. Now we can go to Daytona and feel like we can compete because all of our load centers and everything, all of our uh, attitudes, they, they're spot on. I think, I think we're going to be really good, provided, and Mr. McGilly, you'll get a kick out of this, provided we're able to go through the room of doom without a lot of trouble. Mm, that's on you, by the way. I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, right. you, you keep telling me I need to every now and then push the envelope, so I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit, but not too much. I got you. I, I, I'm, I'm proud of you, by the way. Uh, Kelly, I want to ask you about, um, I, I, I was going to call him our defending series champion, but he basically said last week, don't call Chase Elliott that. He might be the reigning series champion, but he's on anything but defense in his mind, right? Yeah, you know, and that's funny because I was sitting down to write a column yesterday about Chase, and I said, do we really... I don't know why, but I started really thinking about this. And I said, do we really call someone a defending champion if it's before the playoffs start or are they just the reigning <laughs> champion? But yeah, to your point, I just, his whole mindset this year is just keep being ourselves and three words, just keep pushing and improve where they need to improve. In Chase's mind, that nine team is not their best in every category that they can be. And he actually likes that. He thinks that's a good thing. It, it's, it basically gives them something to keep shooting for. So the goal this year is to go out and continue to get better in the places where they need to get better. And he also understands that this business is very much, what have you done for me lately? And he compared it to a Jimmy Johnson, obviously somebody knows very well and said, you know, towards the tail end of Jimmy's career, Jimmy got a lot of disrespect because it was almost like everybody forgot what he accomplished or what he can do. So the minute you start running terribly, people are going to jump off the bandwagon and they're going to start insulting you or they're going to start questioning things. But then when you run, start running well, they're going to be right back on the bandwagon and hyping you up. So Chase is just such a straightforward guy that, you know, I don't think being the reigning or defending series champion is is going to phase him much. It's he's very much like a Kevin Harvick, which is 
it's all about the next race and the next time you're on track and what you need to do when you're on track. So obviously the accomplishment was great. Chase is, is very much uh, excited and, and loves being a champion, but I don't think he's going to get caught up in that. What happened in November happened in November. And again, now he's on to the next thing. And for good or bad, really. I mean, you know, we've seen Chase, uh, Kevin, any of the great drivers have a really bad race. For Kevin Harvick, he had a bad end of the season. He won nine races last year and did not even make it to the championship round the way the playoffs ran for him. And and ultimately, I mean, you know, Kelly, I'm sure you heard him say this too. He's like, well, you know, after a week, I had to let that go and start thinking about this year. And whether they've won or whether they've lost, it is amazing how the focus can still always be right in front of them. Yeah, I just, specifically talking about Chase, what is fascinating about Chase, though, is, and we've all heard it. I mean, we, we've all covered him since he, well, long before he came to NASCAR, but especially his national series career. And I mentioned this in my column. There's times where listening to his interviews was brutal because he just would beat himself up. I mean, he's, he is so hard on himself and his self-criticism was honestly just hard to listen to because of, of how honest he was with himself. It's amazing how over the last couple of years, he's now gotten to this point that we just mentioned where now he's emulating more of the Jimmy Johnsons, of the Kevin Harvick, these great drivers who know when it's done and over with, you box it up and put it away and you have to move on. And as Kevin said, Kevin had a great quote and, and, a, and he has a great, obviously, knowledge of this sport, which is if you want to be good in this sport, you have to be focused on what's ahead and you have to know how to get your mind right and, and know when to close the door on what happened and, and go forward. So it's amazing and it's interesting to watch how that has developed in Chase Elliott over the last couple of years, because again, it was it was brutal listening to some of his early interviews of just him criticizing everything he did wrong. Yeah, that's true. Hammond, you want to, you want to add to that? I mean, you know, oh, what yeah. it's like to be oh, a defending yeah. I, I, can't, I can't help but uh, think about what she's saying and how, how right you are. And it makes me back, think back. And I, I remember when we were first starting to do television and, and do a lot of interviews, the one guy at that time, and, and we used to call him like the Eeyore of NASCAR. That was Mark Martin, you know? It, Mark is a great, great, great individual, but he always had this kind of like, you know, well, poor me, you know? And, and, it, and not in a, to maybe that degree, but that's sometimes that's exactly what Chase sounds like. You know, I, I just can't do this sometimes. I just have so much bad luck. I can't figure out why I can't do this right. And, and it's like, at Eeyore, you know, and he is changing. He is improving. And I give a, him and a lot of other drivers and both of us. I mean, I, when I say this, all of us, I should say, we run into it in our part of the sport that we, that we take care of because we're asking these guys to bear their soul, be honest with us, you know, don't give us the cookie cutter answer. You always want to go a little deeper, you know, and so many of them have grown into the point of, I've got to be able to tell who I am. I've got to be honest with who I am. So these people here will quit asking me, you know, dumb questions. I mean, this, sometimes you get those and those just infuriate you as a driver or a crew chief. It kind of goes across the board. 
but these these everybody's improved on their questions and i think they've also improved more importantly on their answers when he's driving when they get them from the driver so when you see that chase is a really great example how somebody at one time yeah i know we got it i know we need to talk to him but man it's just it's like it's going to be a bad answer. It's, I'm afraid what it's going to turn into before I even ask the, the first question. But they've all gotten better. You keep citing, you know, Kyle Bush. He's good for he's good for uh, a, a quote. And I think that's one of those uh, things that really makes our sport even better. Because if you if you ever compare sometimes NASCAR interviews to other sports and and their athletes, I think we got some of the best spokespersons. Uh, you could ever have to rep represent your type, type of sport, the way the guys go about. Uh, I know he's now doing broadcast work, but I used to always love to listen to whatever Clint Boyer was going to say because you didn't know what he was going to say. I got a curious question, Jeff. All right, so, so you win the championship, <laughs> and all your postseason questions are about how great the season was, how many races you won, how many laps you led, who you beat, and all of that stuff. And I'm sure that feels really good to talk about. And then as we start transitioning from postseason to offseason to now preseason, the questions start to change. How are you going to do it again? What are you going to do to defend the title? All of those things. So what, what's it like? At what point does it change for you that, wow, this was great. Look at what we just did to, oh, boy, look at what we still have in front of us. we got to try and do it again. I had a very unusual upbringing when I came into NASCAR because my first full-time deal with, with Junior Johnson. Junior Johnson, Junior Johnson Associates are used to winning. You got Kel Yarbrough as a driver, expects to run for the championship. So when you win, you know, you, can, you, you feel like you're expected to win the next time and the next time. And then when you win the championship, supposed to win the next year. I was inundated with, I think, how to do it and how not to get too emotional about it because mm -hmm. that's just the way junior was and you know he, he liked having a good time he liked having a party but it was like and you said it kelly you're only as good as your last time out we were always looking forward always pushing forward didn't matter whether we were winning championships or losing daytona 500s as soon as it, it's over move on don't, don't dwell on it. Don't, don't take it to bed. Be able to clear your head and get refocused on what's in front of you, how to get better. You know, and we didn't have the, the driver debriefs. We didn't have the team meetings. That wasn't one of juniors. We didn't do it. You just knew when you came in the next day that if something fell off the race car, right? Race, the race car, you better damn sure fix it. And if he ever walked by and you're working on something, he'd say something like, uh, I don't know if I'd uh, do it that way. And he'd keep walking. He expected you to take the hint and figure it out yourself. So managing pressure, managing success, managing failure is all fixed by what happens next. And if you go out and you rectify all those things that you did wrong, then it'll be right and you'll continue to win. And even if you won, you don't rest on your laurels and think that, okay, you got it made because somebody is always looking uh, to take you down. If you're, if you're a champion, just like Chase is right now, you're no more important to the rest of the, I mean, to this field than I am. 
So I got just as much right to race you and I'm gonna do my best to beat you and show you that you're not the best in the world. Kelly, what do you think? Um, you know, <laughs> the off season, there's a lot of different off season storylines. Now we get into the season, we get to talk about action on the racetrack, but we're still a little bit preseason. We have Daytona 500 uh, front row qualifying that's going to happen later this evening before tomorrow night's dual races will set the final lineup. But in the off season and really late in last season, there was a lot of different things that changed. New ownership is, is one of the big ones and the interest in the sport from different types of owners, not just from racing, but also other sports and pop culture as well. What do you think? Absolutely. It sounds so cliche because it happens every year going in the Daytona 500 where the word is excitement and there's great things that are happening and it's going to be a great season. But I truly believe this is one of the most intriguing seasons or beginning of the seasons we're going to have just because there's 10 drivers, 10 drivers who are with different teams. And then you talk about new ownership, like Matt Tift being, it's a little bit overlooked, but Matt Tift being one of the youngest team owners in the sport, a former driver who's now a team owner alongside BJ McLeod and their vision for what they can do long-term. And then of course, Michael Jordan, that, that some guy named Michael Jordan, I don't, I don't think he's ever accomplished anything, right? Uh, at Pitbull and Justin Marks, who another group that has an incredible vision for not only what they want to do on the racetrack, but what they can do in the community and what they can do away from the racetrack to get people involved and to help communities. So it is, it's very cliche to say that it's going to be a great season and there's a lot of change, but I truly believe, and even across all three series, there is so much to look forward to this year. And you mentioned even Daytona 500 qualifying is going to be a little bit more exciting this year just because of the number of teams and drivers who don't have charters this year. It's actually going to make, in my opinion, it's going to make the Thursday dual races a little more exciting than maybe we've seen in years past because there's now multiple drivers that are going to be sent home. Yeah, very true. You know, Jeff, it's interesting because, you know, throughout your career in the sport, you saw a lot of different types of car owners come in, um, you know, whether it be people from other racing series, like when Kenny Bernstein came in to uh, own a racing team, or you, you talk about Hal Needham, you know, world famous stunt man and movie director, and, and who had great success as well, which is a wonderful thing. When, when you start to see interest from outside outside the sport in general, from outside the core, let's say. Well, what does that do? Does that kind of change the mood, the attitude in the garage? What do you think? Well, I think what we're saying here, and it's something that, you know, you and I have talked about, is how important the uh, idea of being a team owner is now. And so the value of building a great organization, maybe for the first time in the history of our sport, is starting to show itself. These, these charters, uh, at one time, I think were just kind of like, yeah, oh, by the way, you got a charter and you just been around for a while. Or, I and it was being traded around. And I, th I think to my point, we had a lot of teams that were not like number one teams able to get charters because other people, you know, what are they really worth? And the, I, we, they were bought, I think, under, you know, undervalued. Now, all of a sudden, you start hearing about the money that's cost to get one. It tells me that these people are looking at NASCAR and that 
overall business model that's starting to evolve with interest. I mean, some of the changes that's going on with the structure of how much money we're spending getting to the racetrack and, and all this, all these other uh, side decisions that NASCAR and the car owners have uh, put forth are helping the business model and helping these owners be able to, you know, make decent money and continue to keep a uh, strong organization together. It, I think we were getting ready to get too big for our own britches and bringing it back down and, and doing what they're doing now. Uh, it makes, makes me feel like these guys are finally starting to figure it out. NASCAR start finally starting to figure it out. So I give them a big thumbs up because everybody wanted to be like the other sports, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, or whether it's baseball. We just want our stuff to, to be worth something, to have a value for somebody that lives in a foreign country or lives here in the United States. They want to be a part of it. And I think we're starting to see that. Michael Jordan – I mean, it turned a lot of heads whenever he jumped up and him and Denny Hamlin put this deal together. Great opportunity for him. And everybody else you mentioned, uh, Kelly, I mean, that's good news. We got, we got some bright futures on some young owners, and that's something else that we need. We got a lot of great veteran owners. I ain't going to call them old because I am old too, and I'd rather be called veteran than old. So I really like what I'm seeing on the horizon. Right around the corner, we're getting ready to have another new engine. I mean, a new engine, new car. Right after that, we'll be doing a new engine. I think that's going to bring in more new manufacturers. I think that we are on the edge of seeing NASCAR make a growth spurt, but also the flexus muscle when it comes across the board as being not only an entertainment deal, but a business model where you can come in and think about let's entertain and also let's make some money. Yeah, very well said. You know, we, we, when we talk about the new owners, um, obviously with 2311 Racing, Bubba Wallace's team with Michael Jordan as the owner, but Denny Hamlin as well. Kelly, the last owner-driver I can think of that was not the owner-driver of his own race car was probably Dale Earnhardt. You know, he was driving for Richard Childress, uh, but owned DEI, you know, which was running Steve Park for many years before Michael Waltrip came along and before Dale Earnhardt Jr. came along. Denny has had, uh, uh, he's always been great. I mean, he's always gone out there consistently, won races, consistently made the playoffs year in and year out. But really the last two seasons, he has just jumped up to a whole different level. He's got 44 wins as a driver now, three Daytona 500s. But he also has something else pretty big on the plate, and that is being the co-owner with Michael Jordan of 2311 Racing. What kind of impact, if any, do you think that's going to have on Denny Hamlin, the driver? We're going to find out. I, I, it's, it's too early to tell. Um, you know, this team is, has been built while, they're, while racing is not going on. So we don't know exactly how Denny Hamlin has been affected because, you know, Bubba Wallace will tell you, yeah, he's got all of these responsibilities for the 11 team. And then when, when it's time, he shifts and then there's the responsibilities for 2311. But again, there's no racing. We, we've been sitting at, at home. So exactly how much this is going to be a balancing act for Denny is yet to be seen. Um, and, and we can segue into the, from this, talking about Denny into Daytona 500 stuff, because time is flying here, of course. But, but on this topic of, of Denny is, this is probably going to rub some people the wrong way or, or shatter the, the bubble here, but let's call it what it is. 2311 is Denny Hamlin's race team. 
Michael Jordan's name is on it. And I hope that Michael is, is going to be visible and, and we get to see Michael and, and hear from him. But for all intents and purposes, what we've seen the last couple of months, this is Denny Hamlin's race team with Michael Jordan's name on it. So I, I hope that Michael will be out there more talking about it more, be more involved. But I am fascinated by how and how and what Denny can do with this race team because he's made it known this is his future. This is his long-term career and he wants to be involved in the day-to-day stuff. He wants to be what he has seen Joe Gibbs be, which is at the race shop early in the morning, calling partners if that's what it takes. And Bubba Wallace has said that Denny has told him from the beginning if something is not working or something is not going right, then tell me and we will handle it. So I love how invested Denny Hamlin is not only in doing something that has a big push behind it, but doing something that is going to, to impact the sport and, and continue just how much Denny is involved in the overall sport and not just what's going on with that 11 team. And, and we've seen that with his involvement in what was the driver council. We've seen that with how outspoken he is about the racetracks and PJ1 and different things like that. So I'm very excited for Denny to now take this on and again, just be more involved in the overall sport and not just what's going on in his little bubble about the 11 team. But again, it's too early to tell just how this is going to affect what's going on with him in that 11 team. It's going to be a fun storyline though. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, Jeff, I'm kind of curious because you've seen owner drivers for their own race team. Um, and there have been owner drivers who own a different race team than the one for which they drive. Do you think it's easier to do one or the other? I mean, is it maybe a little easier to not actually own the one you're driving for, but own a different one while you're still driving for another owner? As Kelly said, we're going to wait to see, but my uh, experience is I like drivers who are not owners because they got nobody to be accountable to but themselves. And I think whenever a driver loses accountability to somebody, then you you lose something that's very important. Because they got to, you know, I think a driver needs to respect their own. Okay. They got to be a little bit fearful of the job. You might say, I'm driving for my job. There shouldn't be no, no locks. But when you're the owner, who's going to fire you? I mean, it's your way or the highway. I'm the owner. I like it when you are driving for someone and you got to be accountable to them and they're going to point out your flaws. I mean, who's, who's going to address you down in a board meeting? You're going to come in there and say, look, you know, you're being a prima donna. You're, you're not giving us what we need. You know, you're, you're listening to this person over here that, that doesn't know anything about racing, and they're trying to tell you how to run your business and run a race team. It don't work. You see that in other different sports. Uh, most notably, most notably, one of your favorite teams, the Dallas Cowboys, there's a lot of people that say, why do you have a have a head coach? You know, Jerry Jones, he runs everything. He has it his way. And I think racing can be the same way. I've been around and I've seen guys who own their own teams. And more times than not, when it's all said and done, team's not, not around. And, you know, 
my buddy Daryl Walford, another guy that I love dearly, Kale Yarborough. You got down the list. There's there's a very important list of guys who own their own race teams. That <clears throat> excuse me, in the end, they didn't own. They wound up being out. So it's very difficult, I think, to be accountable to yourself. Yeah, I think it's better when you're coming in for a pit stop if you're not thinking about what the tire bill is, um, <laughs> because it's someone else's tire bill and not yours. <laughs> so, that's, Kelly. Yeah. Some of the other things, you know, I definitely want to touch on racer.com because obviously um, racer covers just a wide variety of motorsports, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm a, I'm an anything with an engine kind of motorsports fan, even though I work within the sport of NASCAR, uh, but they've, they've grabbed you and uh, you've done some great NASCAR coverage at racer.com. We talked about great article with Kyle Bush and his move over to a different race team, carrying his car number with him all within Joe Gibbs Racing, but some of the other things that maybe you've written articles about, and if you also want to speak to some of the coverage that we can look forward to as 2021 continues. Well, it's all about Daytona right now. And again, the biggest thing is going to be charters and who doesn't have them getting into the 500 because there's some big names. So really looking forward to qualifying tonight. And uh, I think the Chevrolets are probably the fastest when it comes to the super speedway qualifying. So Ryan Priest being a big name that doesn't have a charter, does he lock in on speed tonight or does he have to go to a dual race tomorrow? Noah Gregson's in a Chevrolet with Beard Motorsports. Uh, Kaz Grala's in a Chevrolet that has that RCR Alliance via, uh, uh, well, with Calling Racing, but has that RCR Alliance. So I am, um, as I said before, I'm just very excited to go into a season where I feel like it's going to be a little bit unpredictable because as a journalist, I like, I like going into something where I feel like there's going to be a, an abundance of storylines. And I really think we're going to have that this year. And I think that's going to keep me busy on the website, whether again, it's, it's 2311 and what Bubba Wallace is going to do, because there's a lot of expectations there. And don't forget, we're still waiting for next gen, um, I'm so looking forward to that race car. I'm so looking forward to if it's going to be the thing that everybody is saying and hoping it's going to be for this sport. So the, when testing ramps up in terms of getting more than one car on the track, there's a lot of things, again, I think that's just going to keep me busy this year. And I love that. I just love different storylines. And again, drivers in new places or new teams, um, What's on the website right now is just a lot of previewing coming into the season. We, as you both know, we had, what, seven days of Daytona 500 media conferences with all the drivers. So whether it's that Kyle Busch story or a story on Bubba Wallace going into this season or, um, you know, I, I want to write something on Matt Benedetto, how Team Penske being aligned with them has made him a better driver. I thought that was a, a great uh, question and answer that I, that I got from him. So as I like to tell people, as I always tell people, it's a little bit of everything and you just never know what's coming. And that's what I love. So, yeah. Jeff, I want to ask you about um, what we can look forward to coming up here, because just a, a quick overview of the way the lineup is set for the Daytona 500 tonight, it'll be single car run qualifying the top two positions. The front row will know the pole winner. will know the outside pole winner. Everyone after that will race tomorrow night. The field will be split in two, and they'll do two 150-mile races. They'll do one half of the field, then the other half of the field. Now, 40 cars are going to start the Daytona 500, but we have more than 40 cars that are there, and 36 teams are chartered. 
They have a guaranteed spot. So there's only four available positions now. And I know you, you need an abacus or something to figure this out sometimes, but um, ultimately the top two of the non-charter teams in tonight's qualifying will be able to start the Daytona 500. They'll know that tonight. Two more race their way in. We don't know the one through 40 starting lineup until after the duels, but my, uh, where I'm really going with this, Jeff, is to ask that. The teams that are not chartered teams have a choice to make tonight because the cars after qualifying today will be impounded and not touched until they race tomorrow. And their choice is, do we want to throw our eggs in the basket of trying to set up the car for good single car run speed and hope to make it into the Daytona 500 on speed? Or do we want to set up our car to race well on Thursday night? Maybe put a little more downforce in it. Can you talk about what all of those things mean and what we may see tonight with fast cars may not necessarily transfer to what we see tomorrow night with fast cars? It depends a lot on your budget and how, how your allegiance is. I don't think an independent team, total independent team, can come in here and expect to qualify in on time. I think there are too many good teams that have a JGR or a RCR, you know, alliance, somebody, you know, a Stuart Haas. If you've got an allegiance, you know, you're aligned with those teams, you can get good information and get good power from, you know, Roush Yates or Children's Engines. Then maybe, maybe you've got a shot. But if you don't, then you automatically got to figure out how am I going to outrace somebody? That's the only way you're going to get, get into this thing. You got to race smart. You got to start figuring out how do I get up myself up there in the pack, and maybe I've got a good enough car where I can make a good move, and you know, race my way in. It, it's it's a it's one of the gut wrenching uh, moments of my career when you go down to a place like Daytona, and back in the day when nobody was you know a guarantee except for the two guys on the front row, those races were some of the most unpredictable and probably gave more crew chiefs and drivers ulcers than anybody, anything going on in the, in the world that I've ever been around. Qualifying was so intense and the 10 days that we were here, uh, nobody really slept good until you were locked in after, after on that Thursday. So I hope, and to Kelly's point, that we're going to have that kind of energy and that kind of excitement because there's so many that want to get in and only and so few that are not, you know, going to end up, they're going to wind up getting in. I think it's going to be ugly, uh, and, and some decisions are going to be made even at the end of those 150s, like we're going to see at the end of the 500. Somebody's probably going to go for a ride. What I mean by that, somebody's going to get spun out because somebody's going to be blocking the wrong individual that needs to get into this race, and they're not going to care. You know, they're not going to care if you even if you're Chase Elliott. Chase, you are standing between me and my destiny. Look out. I'm coming through. So we, we could expect the unexpected, I think, in the 150s. It's not going to be your ho-hum. The competition is so mismatched that there's nobody that can really get up and race with these guys. And whoever gets in is just lucky. But the way the qualifying ends and the way NASCAR splits everything off, will also be a story to follow because you may get lucky and you may get into the, one of those races because they try to balance it to where, you know, if you've got, let's say, if we had 10 people trying to get in, there'll be five and five in each race. They're going to do their best to make sure it's not totally uh, unbalanced. But still, 
if you get in that lucky race where the other guys that you're racing against are more weak sister than you are, you got to have a little smile on your face. To bring up everybody's two favorite words to follow what Jeff was saying, arrow package, these dual races have the potential for what he just said to really turn into a disaster for someone if they're not careful. Um, and a lot of that will have to do with the arrow package because as we saw at Daytona and Talladega last year after NASCAR made some adjustments um, just to kind of better help the draft because everybody, a lot of drivers for years were complaining, well, we're stuck, we can't go anywhere. Everybody's just riding two by two. What really stood out last year was the aero package they have now. It's a lot harder to protect because the runs that the field is getting, you have to know what to do with it or you're going to run someone over. And the cars are a lot more unstable. I remember sitting in the press box at Talladega for the fall race last year. And the way the press box is positioned at Talladega in that trioval, you could see them almost coming head on. And I was amazed. They looked like they were out of control every single time they came by because the cars are just so unstable. So that is going to be something to watch is just the runs that the field will get. And when we get down to the end of the dual races and everybody knows, especially again, those open teams where they know what the situation is and where they need to get to, it's, it's going to get dicey. I think back to last year, Corey LaJoy was locked into the 500. But because he wanted to protect his race car, because it was a newer race car for them um, that they had gotten from Stuart Haas Racing. So it was a newer car for them. They were determined to protect that race car to get it to the 500. And by doing that, he ended up in a position around guys that were racing to get in the 500 and Corey ended up wrecked. So there's going to be, to Jeff's point, there's so many different agendas going on. And then you throw in a little bit of an unstable arrow package and it could get dicey. I expect it to get dicey. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about, you just better play offense. You know, Kyle Busch left Charlotte Motor Speedway one year in the playoffs, very comfortable in points before going to Talladega and said, oh, we'll just go there and wait for the wreck to happen and, you know, clear out some cars and then we'll go race for the win. But we're fine. We'll make it to the next round of the playoffs. And Kyle Busch is running in the back, maybe not all the way in the back, because then the wreck happened. Kyle Busch backed off when the caution came out. Austin Dillon didn't, took out Kyle Busch. He didn't make the next round of the playoffs. So uh, I think I, I think exactly. offense is the way to play. I remember exactly what you're referencing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, Kelly, some other storylines as we head into the season, uh, we're going to see a lot of new this year. We're going to see new racetracks to the Cup Series from Circuit of the Americas in Austin, which a lot of people are excited about. Road America, while they've run Xfinity races, they've not run in the Cup Series there uh, in, in recent history. We've got Nashville Super Speedway, uh, which is the uh, what mile and a half racetrack out there in Lebanon, Tennessee. And we're going dirt racing at Bristol Motor Speedway, which will be uh, the first new of those that come up next month. So what's the buzz out there right now? Well, because it's one of the first things that's coming is the Bristol dirt race, is throwing dirt on Bristol. And um, why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we throwing dirt on Bristol is my question. But that so far is, is what everybody is talking about because you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what to expect. You don't know how it's going to play out because we've never done it before. And it's not a true dirt track. So it's not like these guys can, can compare it to anything else. Uh, the only thing that you can try to reference is Eldora 
uh, with, you know, the truck guys have done that the last couple of years, but I forget who it was. Gosh, I forget which driver it was. It's in my notes here somewhere, but they said, you know, a, a truck driver that had run at Eldora said, even that race, all you're doing is just hanging on. Hope you don't spin out because these stock cars or stock trucks are so different than a full blown dirt car. So I know references Eldora. I don't know. Again, it's just, it's, it's so exciting because we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what it's going to look like. And that's the first thing that's coming. And then with road courses, it's going to make these, it makes the cup teams have to be versatile. If you're going to win a championship, you have to be much more versatile than maybe you have been in years past. So I really like where we're at with the schedule, but I hope as Ben Kennedy and Steve Phelps and Steve O'Donnell have said, I hope we are not done and that with 2022 and beyond, we can shake it up a little bit more and maybe now focus on some short tracks. So, but a lot of, lot of new things this year and it's going to be a challenge and a test to see what these teams are made of. Yeah, which I look forward to as well. Well, Francis, Judy, Paul, all back with us here. Um, which uh, it's, it's always fun talking about NASCAR. It's just fun talking about the motorsports industry in general. And it's great that we've got uh, EPAR trade to be able to bring us all together to do that and uh, bring racers together in various ways. Like we had earlier with the folks from race gas as well. So thank you, Francis, Judy, everyone for inviting us along as well. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Brad, for doing a, you know, a big long run this morning with us, <laughs> starting, you know, two hours ago. Thank you, Kelly, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, getting this together with Paul. Big thank you to you, Jeff, because we know it's a busy week for you and to give us an hour of your time. That's amazing. And then, uh, Paul, uh, or Judy, do you want to wrap this up? Well, Judy? Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> okay, first off, that wasn't boring. That was just fascinating to listen to all of you. Thank you so much. Wow. A big speed want to watch some racing. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that I, I just have to comment, this conversation gave such dimension to the emotional, uh, you know, frame of what a driver deals with and what the mindset of people to go racing. Uh, some of the things, Jeff, that you said in particular really got to me about uh, owner drivers and, and just, you have to earn it. And I just want to say all of you earned it today. Uh, and so thank you for doing this with us. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for what Racer does, by the way. As I mentioned earlier, um, I'm just a huge fan of the site because I'm a huge fan of motorsports in general. I love NASCAR. I love drag racing. I love sports car. I love IndyCar. I love F1. I love the fact that Racer covers everything, and it's great, Paul. Well, thank you. And it's just a great relationship we have with EPAR Trade. We're very proud to stand with them and do this. And, and thank you for the invitation to do so, Francis and Judy. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, we, we had a long history together. So uh, this is uh, this is uh, page two of uh, uh, our, our new uh, new series. So thank you very much, everyone. We'll be back on uh, next Wednesday at nine, and we're going to be talking engine cooling technology. So thank you very much. And uh, I'm, I'm jealous. I, I feel like I'm in Daytona right now. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost as good. Well, thank you. Okay. Have a good week, guys, and all the best for this weekend. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.